The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Welcome to Psych Up Live. I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me. If you're someone who struggles with falling asleep or staying asleep, you are not alone. An estimated 164 million Americans report struggling with sleep at least once per week. Many are desperate to try anything they can. Americans spent an estimated $41 billion on sleep aids in 2015 and it's expected to grow. Today we're going to be talking about understanding and treating insomnia. And we're going to learn about an important treatment option, CBTI, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia. Our guest expert is Dr. Courtney Bancroft. Dr. Bancroft is a Yale-trained primary care health psychologist whose practice specializes in insomnia treatment and sleep wellness. Dr. Bancroft also works full-time at Montefiore Medical Center as a clinician and as a medical educator faculty member of the Family Medicine Residency Program. She completed both her pre- and postdoctoral clinical residencies at Yale School of Medicine, and her PsyD in clinical psychology is from Pepperdine University. Dr. Courtney Bancroft, it is my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Hi, thank you so much. I'm happy to be a guest. Okay, now you're our expert. Let's start, Courtney, by defining what is insomnia and are there different types? Sure, yeah. So insomnia is a term that is coined in the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, um, which is used by mental health professionals as a you know way to diagnose different disorders. Um, it's also in the ICD-10, uh, which medical professionals use as well. Um, as of the previous uh edition of the DSM, there were two different kinds of insomnia. Uh, There was primary insomnia and secondary insomnia. Now, in the latest release edition, the DSM-5, that's kind of been changed. So, it's no longer a primary or secondary diagnosis, but instead is always its own diagnosis. And the reason is that even if you have another comorbidity with this, like depression or anxiety, um, they find that treating the insomnia on its own is often often very important. So they wanted to keep it separate. Um, So clinical insomnia is the insomnia that we really think about and can be pretty chronic. Um, There are two different kinds of clinical insomnia. So clinical insomnia within itself is any difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep, even when the person has the chance to do so. So that rules out anybody who's like a new mom or shift working or anything like that out of this category because the person who's suffering from insomnia needs to be able to have the opportunity to sleep. So a baby keeping you up or a job keeping you up, that's not going to be classified as insomnia. Um, And this difficulty in falling asleep or staying asleep has to occur at least three times a week for at least three months. 
the person also has to be dissatisfied with their sleep and experiencing distress about not sleeping. So some people um, don't sleep as many hours as others, but they're not necessarily dissatisfied or they don't experience distress. So that would not be insomnia either. And the final um, piece of insomnia is that the person really has to experience daytime impairment, including things like fatigue or low energy, not being able to concentrate, feeling like their mood is being impacted, so being kind of cranky, uh, or even having a decreased performance in work or school or in their relationships uh, from not having any sleep. So that's clinical insomnia in general. And then we really classify it into two separate categories. So acute insomnia um, is a Typically, when this, you know, description that I've just kind of gone through, when that occurs in a brief way, and this can often happen because of life circumstances. Um, For example, if you can't fall asleep the night before a a big exam, or maybe you've had a stressful um, period in your life or you've experienced a loss, a lot of people uh, experience this kind of brief period where they really aren't getting a a lot of sleep and they're maybe having difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep. And it's pretty, pretty distressing. This is something that's experienced by many people uh, throughout their lives. And the nice thing about this is that it's actually passing. So it often resolves without any treatment at all. Um, So many people can look back on their lives and think of when they've experienced this kind of acute insomnia. And then chronic insomnia, this is the really pervasive clinical impairment that's really happening for at least three months, Um, and this is where you would get that diagnosis. So you would actually, if you were experiencing this, you would have a diagnosis of insomnia, likely by your doctor um, or maybe your mental health provider. And this type of chronic insomnia can actually have many different causes. So things like changes in the environment, but also things like unhealthy sleep habits, shift work, clinical disorders, other, you know, otherwise like things like depression, anxiety, um, or certain medications can even lead to long-term patterns of insufficient sleep. Um, So this type of insomnia is the type that really often benefits from some form of treatment. Um, And many times it can actually be what what we say is comorbid, so meaning it could be linked to another medical or psychiatric issue. Now, the the type of treatment we'll be talking about, the CBTI, actually, you correct me, can be used even if there is another condition because it can address the insomnia as a separate disorder? Mm-hmm, yeah. So usually, like in the past, what happened would be, you know, and there are many um, symptoms of, let's, let's use the example of depression. So some of the symptoms of depression are not being able to sleep or sleeping too much. And so sleep is definitely affected when you have depression. And in the past, uh you might have gotten the diagnosis of depression as your main thing and then had this secondary insomnia diagnosis. Now, we would just give a diagnosis of regular insomnia and also depression. And that's because um, when we talk about kind of the, uh, the development of chronic insomnia and how it goes from acute to chronic, we really see that there are separate factors that can contribute to this ongoing maintenance, if you will, of the insomnia. And so even in, if in that example we were to treat the depression, the insomnia might still persist. So that's why we like to give it a separate diagnosis as well. Okay. And so um, I assume the factors that would persist are some of the things you'll be mentioning when we talk about CBTI? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now, are they are they something that we should mention now? Are they something that also affect people who have occasional sleeplessness or difficulty? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, we like to think of insomnia as having like a threshold, right? And so many people experience a couple of nights of sleep disturbance here and there. Um, But for those that are really experiencing this kind of persistent thing, usually it's a buildup that leads to this chronic type of insomnia. And there are three kind of different factors that go into that. So the first um, 
factor that goes into whether you reach that insomnia threshold or not is something called predisposing factors. And the predisposing factors are things like your biological makeup, any certain psychological traits, so maybe you're just more of an anxious person than others, um, and different things like... um, you know, how many hours people in your family typically get, what your circadian clock uh, is like, and also different social factors. So those are kind of the, the factors that everybody has. We're kind of all built with these factors. And those factors alone don't usually uh, push us above this insomnia threshold, but definitely differ among individuals. Then the next kind of factor in this is something called precipitating factors. So these could be that those that event we talked about, right? Like that situational thing. So this could be something like a medical illness, a psychiatric illness, a stressful life event. And when you take that precipitating factor and kind of add it into the predisposing factor, for many people, that's enough to push them over that insomnia mm. threshold. That's now, with really that precipitating, yeah, and that precipitating yeah. factor is something that usually does go away or resolve. So, if that alone kind of went away and resolved, many people dip back down below the insomnia threshold. And in that, in those cases, you really don't need the treatment. It's considered brief. You may not even reach the three month kind of qualification to get the actual diagnosis. Um, And then that last factor, now this is the factor uh, which we treat, you know, and this is is what we call a perpetuating factor. So when you add on the perpetuating factor on top of the precipitating and on top of the predisposing, this is where people really hit above that insomnia threshold, even when the precipitating factor or the situational factor kind of resolves on its own. And many times, these perpetuating factors are things that people are doing to try to cope with the fact that they experience this, you know, period of insomnia. And many times, it's totally, um, you know, it seems pretty reasonable to do some of these things. Like if you miss a night's sleep, you want to make up for that night's sleep. So you maybe get a little extra sleep the next night um, or other little behaviors. So these are things like the amount of time people spend in bed, how much effort they put into their sleep, um, different conditioning, which we'll talk about a little bit more around sleep. And so this is the area where People that have, you know, whether it's clinical insomnia or just difficulty sleeping, this is the area where you could really work uh, to reduce these factors enough to have that person dip below that insomnia threshold. I, I like the way you say that sometimes we end up trapped by the very things we're doing to try to help the sleeplessness. So if I had a precipitating factor like I was in a uh, fender bender and mm-hmm. at the first week, I was so anxious I couldn't sleep, so I decided to uh, have have some alcohol at night or take some naps during the day. Even as my body might come back to a steady state, I've now possibly, Courtney, thrown off my um, good sleep uh, hygiene. Yeah. Yeah, so many, many people are very resilient, right? And I want to highlight that because there's so many people out there. Um, and, and actually, in fact, we all are. Our bodies are amazing and our brains are amazing at being able to get ourselves back on track. So if you think about having ever traveled or gone to a different time zone or even just like, you know, having young children or anything like that, we're able to function. We get back on track pretty easily. So in that situation, if the fender bender wasn't something that was so stressful and you only kind of did that a couple of days, it's like that your body and your mind would be able to get you right back on track. Now, for somebody that, you know, really suffered from that fender bender, maybe even had another history of trauma, this activated really a lot of tension and a lot of anxiety for them, or they had to get right back on the road and then were suffering. And maybe this went on for quite some time and they continued to engage in those behaviors, then yes, those behaviors over time can get worse and worse, like almost a snowballing effect. Um, and, and what happens is, you know, it was very well-meaning trying to get your sleep back on track can ultimately lead to these behaviors that can make the chronic insomnia um, reach above that insomnia threshold and just perpetuate for years and years. 
great. Now, so let's, we're going to be talking, um, we're going to take a short break in a little while, and we're going to be talking about laying out the model. Now, many people are using some sort of sleep medication, or that's what they go to, um, mm-hmm. as, as we think that lack of sleep can be really so damaging to body and mind if it persists. Some people use an occasional Ambien or they use some sleep medication. Now, is that something that a person can be on if they're going to come to someone like you and use um, the CBTI? Yes, definitely. So medication is a really wonderful thing, especially for short-term use. I think where we fall into difficulty with the medication is when somebody's on it for so many years because a lot of these medications are really not meant to be utilized for more than just even a couple of months. And right, and I see patients who have been on Ambien for 10 years, for 12 years, and there's also you know a, a, both a physiological and psychological dependence that can happen depending on the type of medication. And a lot of people really value their freedom and being able to say, hey, I can sleep and control my sleep without medication for many people is is something they value. Now, if the medication is helping or they have to be on certain medications for other reasons, absolutely you can start um, the the treatment on medication. Um, You can incorporate all sorts of other types of things as well while you're trying the CBT for insomnia. So things like mindfulness, relaxation, natural supplements. Um, all of those types of things can okay. all go on while you do the, the treatment. Okay, I'm going to stop you at this point. We're going to take a brief break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with psychologist and sleep expert, Dr. Courtney Bancroft. We're going to come back to talk about CBTI. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Can you truly be a change agent in your community? We think you can. Tune in every week for Envision with co-hosts Thomas Rosenberg and Ronnie Langer Kroger. The show is all about building an inclusive and just future by connecting people with ideas. Connect with what's happening in your community, your country, and around the world as we speak with amazing guests who are fostering change and making their communities better. Envision is heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What's your coffee story? The one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My favorite coffee story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Dr. Courtney Bancroft, and we're going to actually talk about cognitive behavioral treatment for insomnia using some real live examples. Courtney, 
Let's start with the typical type of person who comes to seek help for insomnia and sleep problems. Sure. So, um, you know, it's really funny. I see such a range of people because the sleep uh, difficulties and sleep disorders are so pervasive. Um, but basically, somebody who's coming in for CBT for insomnia has usually been referred from, from their primary care provider or maybe another psychologist. And they're somebody who really values the idea of having the most evidence-based, all-natural kind of treatment for insomnia. So these are people that really want to get their health back in order um, and are very concerned about their sleep. And so, um, you know, a lot of times, especially I live in New York and, and a lot of the people I see live in New York as well, and you see so many people who have just really adapted to this very high-stress environment and high-stress lifestyle that we have here with lots of stimulation and uh, lots of things always going on. And so a lot of times it's um, people that really want to be able to get their sleep under control um, and feel that, that they're kind of out of control with their sleep, maybe because of their lifestyle or because of you know, these high levels of anxiety that we face on a, on a day-to-day basis. Okay, so let's give some examples. And my question added to that is, is it ever not indicated? Is this treatment something that some people really can't go right into? Sure. So um, a referral for CBTI usually can, you know, include many, many, many different types of people, many different conditions. Like I mentioned earlier, people that have comorbidities as well, so people with other illnesses, whether they're medical illnesses or um, psychological illnesses, can be referred to. Um, The only types of people we say don't come for CBTI are people that don't meet criteria for insomnia, so that's an obvious one. But then also somebody who might be engaged in exposure therapy for PTSD, so somebody who's really working through some trauma, that might be um, not really the best time for them to come into this treatment because that can in and of itself create sleep difficulties Um, or somebody who's using substances like very actively um, in a way that feels very out of control for them so that they may not be able to stop using the substances on their own. Now, if somebody is using marijuana to sleep or drinking to sleep or any other substance, um, those are people that are eligible as long as they feel like they can kind of keep that under control. And then also somebody who's actively decompensating from a psychiatric illness at the time um, or somebody who's really working rotating shifts uh, and not really a stable um, type of, of hourly job. So if somebody's working two nights and then one morning and all of these things, uh, that can kind of get a little bit messy. Um, and then there are certain considerations where you adapt the treatment, maybe for somebody with bipolar disorder, um, depression, PTSD, anxiety, et cetera, so that you make sure that you're using the, the components of the treatment correctly. Um, people with chronic pain, you also want to adapt the treatment and um People that have other sleep disorders, so things like sleep apnea, um, you just want to adapt the treatment a bit as well. Okay. So So if someone comes in, how do we start? So the best way and the thing that I love about this treatment the most is that it's really comprehensive and the main components of this treatment work off of a really beautiful and well-done case conceptualization. So the first session is purely gathering information about somebody's sleep, about their, you know, histories, about their goals and things like that. Um, And then from that conceptualization, you utilize all of the different components and the possible components of this treatment to create a personalized treatment plan for that person. And I have to say that many of my patients, these these treatment plans look different um, depending on their presenting issue, depending on which is going to be the most efficient and efficacious way to kind of attack these symptoms. Um, But overall, the the treatment's composed of things like psychoeducation, which is learning about your sleep, cognitive work, so things like cognitive restructuring, um, and then behavioral work as well. So things like sleep hygiene, sleep restriction, stimulus control, and then it all gets wrapped up really nicely with a personalized relapse prevention plan. Um, so, so typically, right, um, when we think about sleep, and I always tell my patients this as well, there are three components that really 
draw together and create a complete beautiful picture of what I like to call effortless sleep, right? So somebody that's coming to see me usually has been trying very hard to go to sleep and I call that effortful sleep. So ultimately by the end of this treatment, the goal is to get everybody to get some effortless sleep. And when people that come in and that are suffering from insomnia, they always ask people that are good sleepers, they say, how do you do it? How, how do you get to sleep. And most people can't answer that question because it's such a natural process that it's something that just kind of, kind of happens. And there are three components that make that happen. One is the sleep drive. The sleep drive is basically our, our body's hunger for sleep. It's the equivalent of like an appetite for food, but for sleep. Um, and that vacillates and varies based on how much sleep and how recently that person has gotten that sleep. Um, Then there's the circadian clock, which is an internal biological system that kind of keeps track of sleep and wake drives and all sorts of other things that our body is responsible for. And this is influenced by the environment. So we get cues from the environment and then our brain turns on and off our circadian clock. And the last part of really good sleep has to do with what we call our arousal system. Now, the sleep drive and the circadian clock can be in perfect harmony, but if that arousal system is on, which is actually a safety mechanism that kind of goes all the way back to, you know, our evolutionary past, this arousal system will keep us awake and it's meant to keep us safe. So it's the thing that will wake you up out of a very deep sleep if the alarm goes off for your fire alarm, right? Or it's Mm -hmm. the thing that will wake you up from a very deep sleep even if... Uh, if you hear like a small noise that might be kind of threatening. So this arousal system is really, really important as well. And again, for people that come in, they may have difficulties mostly with their sleep drive. Maybe their circadian clock is kind of out of whack, or maybe it's the arousal system, or many times it's a combination of all three. Um, So, you know, to just give an example, um, I I recently saw a middle-aged woman. She had just started a very high-stress job. Um, Before this, she had gone through this period of unemployment, which was really, really difficult for her because she was the main financial support for her family. Um, And she described herself as a type A person, an overthinker. She was also experiencing menopause at the time. And she was waking up throughout the night without being able to fall back asleep. She would think and worry and not be able to fall back asleep very well. So in this case, uh, the things that really helped the most after I did a nice conceptualization with her were to reduce her arousal system. And the reason her arousal system was on so high was because of this financial responsibility and really the idea that having a job and, and making money to support her family was life and death, right? So her arousal system that keeps you safe was on. Um, so the things that we did, we, we really created a nice, beautiful buffer zone, we call it, right before bed to reduce stimulating activities. We set a bed and wake time. We did something where you schedule worry time. And this is where my patients usually say, all right, this is just crazy. But I actually tell them to worry for a certain period of time. Uh, and we move that period of time to the middle of the day, if we can, so that it's away from bedtime and bedtime is protected, which helps the arousal drive know that at nighttime, it's okay to kind of relax and go to sleep. And then we also incorporated some relaxation, mantras, and yoga poses because she was interested in that as well. And then because of her menopause, her circadian clock was actually getting affected, which works with temperature. So we created uh, to make sure there was a very cool environment for her with breathable sheets and breathable blankets that would help her to promote sleep as well. So we addressed kind of all of those things, but the main thing was hitting that arousal system. So let me ask you, in the middle of the night when she woke up Courtney and her brain went into if I lose this job I don't even know how I'll support myself or the family how did she somehow calm down that thinking or how because people ask me how do they Mm -hmm. shut their brain off yeah that's a really really great question So for her, you know what, believe it or not, just by reducing the arousal drive before bed, she didn't wake up throughout the night as much. But let's take a situation where that isn't enough, right? Maybe it's not the arousal system um, through the body that's really activated, but maybe it's that mind, right, that's waking you up and you can't go back to sleep. 
So this is where the cognitive work comes in. So we do things to work to combat negative thoughts and belief about sleep, um, where we actually help the person change the narrative around sleep. So we talked about that snowball idea earlier um, with chronic insomnia and how it kind of can progress. Many times somebody has a life stressor that is the cause of difficulty with their you know, worry and cognitions. But over time, when you can't sleep over and over, your worries actually start to become about sleep, right? So right. what we do is we help them to change the narrative around sleep and their sleep story. So sometimes that's in the form of psychoeducation about the important factors and types and ways of sleeping and how healthy or unhealthy certain things are. Other times that's taking evidence. So throughout the treatment, somebody will fill out what we call a sleep diary to keep track of their sleep. And so the more evidence we have about their actual sleep, the more difficult it is for the brain to kind of do what we call catastrophizing around sleep. So, saying, so oh, give, us, get an, any sleep give us an example, uh, Courtney, give us an example of a new narrative that a person might have. Sure. So somebody who um, is, is you know, experiencing chronic insomnia, they may start to go around and say to everybody that, that they know, I can't sleep. I don't sleep at all. I don't know what's wrong with me, right? I think there's something really wrong here. So all of these types of thoughts can really get to us because what happens when you wake up in the middle of the night and you start to think those thoughts, or you could even be thinking, if I don't get any sleep again, tomorrow's going to be the worst day. I'm not going to be able to perform at work. I need to get sleep or else I'm going to be totally out of commission, right? All of these beliefs... When, that, when, when our eyes open in the middle of the night and we start to fill our brain with those types of things, one, our arousal drive gets activated. So we start to worry and then our entire physiological system starts to go into fight or flight mode, which makes it impossible to sleep, right? So we actually, again, we're, we're trying to help ourselves by figuring out a way mentally to get back to sleep and telling ourselves how important it is. But by thinking about it in that way, we actually are activating the very system that's keeping us from going back to sleep. Okay, so if we have listeners who are going, that's it, that's exactly what I do. In the short term, what's a strategy for them as as a small step toward trying to do some of what you're suggesting? Sure. So what I always suggest is to remind yourself that, A, you've gotten through a night of not having good sleep before, right? And then B, remembering that our brain really is not at its very problem-solving best or peak during these hours in which we're very, very tired. So what I suggest to them is almost like playing a tennis match with those thoughts where we knock them out and say, all right, I'm going to think about this tomorrow when I have more cognitive ability and awareness to be able to process this. Um, I'm going to think about this when I have better problem-solving abilities, no matter what the worry is, right, and kind of push those worries. And then scheduling that worry time in the middle of the day to actually be problem-solving through and doing things like uh, some of the cognitive restructuring work, which can be done with a simple thought log, um, we call it, and you can get those online as well, where you just gather evidence for and against that belief. Um, Mm -hmm. The best thing... To, to do is also to try to quiet the arousal drive at that time. So trying to like knock these thoughts out of the way and then work through the body. That's what I always suggest. Doing things like breathing, doing things like, you know, meditating, trying to quiet the mind and then utilize the body and the breathing to lower that arousal system and to basically give the body and mind the impression and belief that it's safe enough to go back to sleep. Because mm. what happens when the arousal drive is on, we feel unsafe. Yeah. Do you ever suggest the person get out of bed if they it goes on and on? Yeah. So that leads me to that behavioral component. So for other people, you know, they may, you know, I, I had a case where it was a lovely young woman. She had very weird hours because of her work. She was going to school. She was very laid back. Some nights she would stay up pretty late. Other days she would, you know, try to make up for the time by sleeping in. And all these kind of behavioral factors were getting in the way. So we use a lot of behavioral work. And so for her or for anybody that is experiencing this, one of the things that that can happen with chronic insomnia, which is really fascinating, is that our brain, like I said, is so sharp. It's so kind of um, plastic in this way that when, when we stop sleeping very well, 
the brain starts to pair our bed or wherever it is that we're restless with sleeplessness instead of sleep. So what we want to do from a behavioral standpoint is to only pair the bed with sleep. So that means if you have one of these nights where you're tossing and turning and you're worrying and you're all these things, you want to move that kind of stuff so far away from the bed so that the bed does not become a vehicle for the, the body to kind of subconsciously get triggered for that. So we usually give the, the parameter of about 20 minutes. If you're laying in bed for more than 20 minutes without being able to sleep, get up, go to a chair. Even you know if you live in a studio apartment in New York, just sit at the edge of the bed um, or a chair or anywhere you can. Keep the lights dim. Keep the stimulus to a minimum. Um, but you know, sit there until you really feel sleepy again. And then once you feel sleepy, get back into the bed because that's okay. going to help to pair the bed. I'm going to stop you right there at that great suggestion. We're going to take a brief break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're talking today with Dr. Courtney Bancroft about treating insomnia. She's been giving us wonderful suggestions using the overall treatment, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Helen Hillix, Todd Benton, and Chris Reeves. Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune into Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking about sleep, insomnia with Dr. Courtney Bancroft. She has some amazing strategies under the overall treatment of cognitive behavioral treatment for insomnia. Courtney, um, I love that idea that if we stay in bed restless, we end up, our brain ends up pairing restlessness and tossing and turning to the thing we do in bed. And I hear you're suggesting do not let that happen. Get up right. and and go and and actually go calm yourself down in another another setting with um, uh, lower lights. Maybe maybe I use hot tea. You know, depending on the person. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you mentioned that the woman that you were dealing with had success changing or reducing 
her arousal before going to bed and that that was very effective. I wouldn't know how to do that. How would I do that? Sure. So this is something that I think a lot of people struggle with. And so I've kind of come up with a metaphor that I really like, and I'm I'm sure other providers typically use this as well. But I think about, you know, a little kid, a young kid, and how they might be put to bed in an ideal world, right? And so I think about and then equate that to our modern world. And it's actually quite comical, right? Because I hear my patients, they say, oh, I don't know what to do. I can't sleep. This is what I do before bed. I, you know, run around and I get everything ready for school. I look at my work emails. Then I, you know, pack up some lunch. I do the cleaning. Then I, I start to think about what's going to happen the next day and I plan that out. Then I maybe I, you know, have a cigarette or I have a big, <laughs> you know, meal or something like that. And then all of this stuff, right? And I think about that's the equivalent of taking a young kid and having them run around like crazy, (laughs) feed them a bunch of stuff, sugar, everything, (laughs) tell them about all the things they have to worry about the next day. And then on, on top of it, then they say, but then I just watch some TV and I relax. And I say, oh yeah, what do you watch? And usually it's like, oh, I watch Criminal Minds or like the world's scariest thing that's on very late at night. Or I watch the news right before bed. And that's the equivalent of like reading the kids the world's scariest book that their brain is just going to be worried the whole night about an intruder or something like that. And so we really have to think of ourselves almost as like little kids. And and once we do that, it's so it's so much easier, I think, to kind of put on the hat and say, well, what should we do? So we have this period called the buffer zone that we implement with CBTI. And the buffer zone is just that. It's usually a recommended 60 minutes to 40 minutes, anywhere you know in between that. Sometimes if you don't have that much time, you could even do even less. But we always recommend enough time for the body to really wind down. So part of this reducing the arousal drive is having the, the body wind down and the brain wind down during this buffer zone. The other part is having to do with the circadian clock. Now, our circadian clock picks up signals from our environment about whether or not it's okay to sleep and whether they should be turning on the the sleep drive or the wake drive in our mind, right? And again, if we go all the way back to caveman days, we are animals that are not very good at night. We don't have... uh, We don't have uh, night vision. We're not very protected. So what we would do in the old days before electricity, before smartphones, all of these things, we would retreat to our little caves or our safe areas and we would wind down by the fire and we would eventually kind of go to sleep, right? So now our brain is actually half the time fighting us because of all of the signals from the environment that are disrupting our circadian clock. Things like having the lights on really bright. Just that alone will keep our brain a little bit awake because our brain is thinking, well, it must not be time to go to sleep yet if the lights are, if it's still bright out here, right? Mm-hmm. Things, things like temperature. So we want to have a cooler environment to sleep just because similar to caveman days, when the sun goes down, it's a little bit cooler at night, right? So in our house, we want to set the temperature a little bit lower. We want to... Um, not really be eating or being too active right before. I have a lot of patients that say, I don't understand. I tired myself out so much. I worked out for two hours right before bed. Well, unfortunately, (laughs) working out actually increases our body temperature, and it takes us a while to to calm down because, again, we only used to run around and hunt and and gather and all that during the day, so our body gets confused. Um, So things like that where, where you're really kind of working on the environment, promoting sleep, things like spraying some lab. I mean, all these types of things that can really relax our senses. So I encourage people to go through their five senses. So sight, sound, touch, all of these things, and think about, is this a relaxing environment? And then going back to that other piece of this, where you're setting up that buffer zone time, you really want to set enough time to wind down. So that means no work, no screen time, none of that stuff happening um, within that hour. Some people like to lay on their back with their legs up the wall. That's a nice yoga pose that kind of starts to promote relaxation in the body. Um, Other people like to kind of just watch a soothing show, something like a nature show or listening to some relaxing music or reading a book that's really not too um, exciting. (laughs) So all of those kinds of things are are nice. Mm -hmm. And I think just as with babies and little ones, once it becomes a ritual, 
the body knows. I mean, it's amazing with mm-hmm. children. I see it with my little grandchildren that mm-hmm. as soon as certain as soon as certain books start to be read, as soon yep. as certain clothes are put on, we're headed in that direction. And you're right. I don't think as adults we realize we need that buffer buffer zone and that ritual. They're great. It's a yeah. great metaphor. Now I want to make sure to ask. So you gave us an example of the middle-aged woman, and you just said um, something about a younger woman. Do men have as many sleep problems as women, and do they respond in a similar and positive way to CBTI? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So actually, um, the CDC recently did some studies around sleep, and, and they really don't see any gender differences. There's differences in about every other thing, age, uh, where you live in the country, what your you know background is, all those things. But men and women really uh, are about the same. Um, now, for men, they respond just as well to CBTI, um, and actually... Let me think. Uh, So I had a a young man who had recently graduated from college, um, and he was kind of entering this real life, you know, in quotes, where it was very different from college. His schedule had changed. He was kind of down about how different life is when you don't live with your friends and all these things. He also had, he would be starting his new job soon. Um, He had a medical surgery that was coming up and a little bit of an anxious predisposition that actually began to affect him when when he wasn't sleeping as well. He started to really worry about its health. Um, So the things that really helped him are these cognitive interventions where we talked a lot about psychoeducation around sleep and how sleep works. Uh, We did a lot of cognitive restructuring around the negative events that can result from not sleeping. Um, And then we did a lot of that behavioral work too around, you know, having a regular schedule even when our life doesn't call for it. So even when you know, you have a break in work or college ends or different things happen. It's really nice, like you were saying with the kids, right, to get into a, a schedule um, because having that schedule, it again, it activates this behavioral pairing um, so that the mind starts to associate certain things with sleep. So certain time, mm-hmm. certain, uh, you know, factors like that warm tea you mentioned, all mm-hmm. sorts of things like that. Um, mm-hmm. And then to help with the anxiety as well, we utilize something called a, a gravity blanket. I think that might be the brand, but they're, they're weighted blankets right out there. And they actually can really help to reduce anxiety in the night in the body. So it's a, like a little bit of comfort having a little bit of weight on us sometimes That's while we nice. sleep. It's like a safety mechanism. So we did that as well with the, to help with the anxiety. And um, then we really... What helped him so much is having this little relapse prevention plan because he started to say to me, hey, you know what, Doc? I think this sleep thing is in my control again. And even if I have a bad night or even if I travel or even if I decide to go out with my friends on the weekend, I know I'm going to suffer a little bit on the next day, but I know that I can get it back into control. So that that's another that's- thing. A huge part of this treatment is just really feeling that mental control back so that we can get back to that place of effortless sleep. He also clearly had stopped worrying about not sleeping. Exactly. Just yeah. having that psychoeducation around sleep and, and what's important and how it works and how to control it have really helped him. It's terrific. Now, how would people find you, your practice? How would they find your website? And how would sure. they find a CBTI trained therapist, psychologist, if they were not in New York? Let's start sure. with you. Great question. So um, I can be reached through my website. My website is drcourtneybancroft.com. So it's D-R and then my name, Courtney Bancroft. Um, I also can be found on Psychology Today, which is a great resource. Um, They have a find a psychologist feature. And so you can look that up by zip code, actually. And you can look it up by specialty. So if somebody has sleep listed as a specialty, you can just contact them and ask them if they know about CBTI. Another really good way to find a provider, uh, because actually in 2016, just last year, um, a major medical journal published about um, CBTI as the most effective gold standard treatment uh, for for medical doctors to be referring to CBTI before even giving any medication. So if your doctor has read this and is up on their you know uh, literature around this, then a great way to get connected is through your primary care doctor, who may know of some resources in the area as well. 
And then there are other really, really wonderful um, uh, foundations like the National Sleep Foundation. There's also sleep.org. Uh, and some of these have features where you can search as well. Now, there is, that being said, there is a shortage of uh, providers who are nationally certified in this. So I do encourage all the psychologists and uh, therapists out there listening to go get certified because this is an area that's really needed. Um, and then a lot of people also offer teletherapy. So um, it depends on, on the, the type of license and certain state regulations. But like for me, for example, I'm located in Manhattan, but for somebody that wants treatment but maybe can't get to Manhattan but also lives in New York, um, since I'm licensed in New York, they can do a teletherapy now. So That's if great. you're upstate New York or something like that as well. One of the things I love on your website is when you say, this is a city that doesn't sleep, be one of the ones who does. I think that's a a great slogan, uh, Courtney. Um, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, So many people suffer and they're so confused. I think you clarified some really important psychoeducational and strategies that are going to help a lot of people sleep just a little bit better and maybe reach out for a bit more help. So I really want to thank you for coming on. Do you have a take-home message that you'd like to share with our listeners? You know, I think, um, again, that idea of effortless sleep is something that's so important. And so uh, all of these wonderful apps and all of these wonderful websites and everything that kind of track your sleep can can become very overwhelming uh, to somebody who's already not sleeping. So I just hope that everyone can kind of look at these things in moderation and worry about them in moderation as well so that, um, again, you're working against your arousal drive if you're really uh, worrying a lot about this. And and the, the last take-home is that it's possible to control it. It's a very easy, great treatment. I don't think we mentioned, but it's only six weeks. I mean, in six weeks, people can heal their insomnia, their chronic insomnia that they've had for decades. And so that's what gets me passionate about this. That's what gets me um, feeling really great about helping people as well. And so thank you so much for having me. I I really enjoyed talking to you today. It's been a pleasure, and six weeks is very little, as you say, to a real important change. I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this show and any prior show as a podcast on my site, on the apps on your iPhones for free podcasts, on the iTunes app, Sketcher, Voice America, and many of the podcast sites. This show will be a podcast by 8 p.m. this evening. Remember to drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Mostly, until next week, please take care, get sleep, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. 